and welcome to Translator in the House, the second episode of the Meet the Translator podcast series. After discussing an MA in translation in the last episode, we're now going to find out about the different paths you can go down in the translation industry. Today I'll be chatting to Julia Landry about in-house translation. I'm excited to learn about Julia and her role as an in-house translator. She'll be telling us about how and why she chose to be an in-house translator and sharing some positives and negatives of in-house translation as well as giving us a rundown of her day-to-day life and how things have changed for her during the pandemic. Towards the end, she'll be sharing her tips for those interested in becoming in-house translators and answering some of your questions. Hi, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Dot. I'm, I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me. I'm, I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I'd love to find out a bit more about you. So can you tell me like what exactly is it you do and what does your journey look like to becoming a translator? Mm-hmm. Of course, no problem at all. I'm originally from Germany. I moved to the UK about 10 years ago. I've always been interested in languages, absolutely love the written word, love reading. So after my A-levels, which I did in English and French, I just I knew I wanted to be a translator. So I um, I studied translation in Munich mm-hmm. for about three and a half years and then tried to apply for translation jobs. But just having my BA, I found it quite difficult to get a job because I what I did here is either you need an MA or you need experience. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have either. So I was looking around doing some customer service jobs, but I just felt I needed to translate. I really wanted to translate. So I decided to, um, after a short stint in France, uh, where I was working for three months, I decided to move to the UK, found a job there at the reception of a hotel, and just wanted to improve my, my language skills and save for my MA. And then two years later, I started my MA. Absolutely loved it. Um, I think you talked about it in your last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you've done it as well. And uh, yeah, for me, it was a great experience. And then while I was uh, still studying, one of my professors said, oh, I have this contact at Amazon and they're looking for a German translator. Would you be interested? So I did the test there and then um, started translating freelance for Amazon. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, found a position as an in-house translator for an online retailer in, in Leicester, where I'm based at the moment. And yeah, and then that's how I started um, my in-house translation mm-hmm. journey. That's so interesting. Thank you. What language combination do you translate and what, what do you sort of specialise in? I speak um, German, obviously, uh, English mm-hmm. and French, but I don't use French as a working language. But yeah, so I translate from English into German um, for the company I work for as an in-house translator. It is mostly um, products that go live on different marketplaces. And in the beginning, it was mostly clothing, software underwear really everything and now they expanded quite a bit so it's still clothing shoes pet stuff decorations even small furniture so it's it's really very varied quite a variety and it sounds like yes, definitely yeah <laughs> so what made you sort of decide to be an in-house translator that's quite simple I was petrified of working as a freelance translator <laughs> I love the idea, and I obviously know that um, probably the majority of translators work as um, as freelance translators. But I just I didn't have any experience freelancing. I imagined it to be this 
really complicated thing and I didn't know how to do invoicing or find any clients. Yeah, so for me, I just thought I want to learn Mm -hmm. in a safe environment. And yeah, that's why um, I looked for for in-house translation jobs and and luckily found one. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, if you start out, I think it's really great, at least from my experience. It sounds like you can sort of learn a lot from starting with that as well about the business side of things, probably. Yeah, yeah. So how long have you been working as an in-house translator for? Uh, it's over seven years now. Um, mm-hmm. I do work, uh, now I work part-time, so I also work as a freelancer because I really enjoy the variety of that. And I figured out how to do all the little bits and bobs, so I really <laughs> love it. And further down the line, I do see myself yeah, working freelance completely, but there are many advantages to, to working as an in-house translator as well. So what would you say are the advantages and disadvantages of working as an in-house translator? I would say... Firstly, you don't have to worry about finding work because mm-hmm. the work is there. Then if it's good company, and I was I was really lucky in that respect, they will teach you everything. You've got a team. If there are any if there's any new software, any new systems, they will teach you how to do that. There might be um more experienced colleagues you work with. If there are any questions, there's not that panic of, oh my god, what do I do? You've mm-hmm. got someone to help you. So especially if if you don't have any experience it's really great i think and then i think depending on how big the company is you might also have um, good chances of climbing the ladder so you might obviously it's a difference uh, i work for an online retailer so it's not it's not some translation agency if you work for a translation agency you might be a senior translator you might become an editor you might work as a project manager if that's something that interests you Mm -hmm. but yeah I think you've got great opportunities there what I would say is one of the negatives the salary so I don't want to complain about mine but you can see the difference from if you work freelance to what you can earn especially when you start out as a in-house translator it is understandable because obviously you're not looking for clients you're not doing any marketing and so on but yes, that might be something that could put some people off, I imagine. Yeah, I guess it's different in the sense that when you're freelancing, you only get paid when you do the paid work. You don't get paid when you're doing your learning how to use software or doing research or when you have a holiday, you don't get obviously any holiday Yeah, exactly. Pay or, so that's, like, yeah, that's definitely. benefits to working in-house, as I guess yeah. with most sort of employed jobs. Yeah, of course, that is that is a big benefit as well. I think you've got your paid holidays. If you are sick, depending on the company, of course, but um, you will get paid either mm-hmm. way. So, yes, I think that's definitely an advantage. And especially if you're young, that might be something that you're looking for. Yeah. Do you find that it gives you enough flexibility while working in-house? Do you still get to make sort of some decisions on which projects you get, you get to work on or when you get to do it? Or is it very set? Like, this is what you do and this is when you do it. For me, it was very set. It wasn't a matter of this is when you do it. So um, I could certainly decide on that, but I couldn't really decide on the projects. Um, 
I don't know if that might be the case if you work in a translation agency. There might be that they know, oh, that's your specialism. So mm -hmm. uh, you just get this project. Or it might also be that they're going to ask you and say, what are you interested in? What would you like to specialize in? So, yeah, I can definitely imagine that. But for me, it wasn't the case. But it wasn't a problem because it was very varied. It was products. It was later on. It was marketing as well. So it was quite interesting. Well, it mm -hmm. still is. Yeah. It, yeah, it does sound interesting. Could you walk me through what does a day in the life of an in-house translator look like? So, yes, um, when I pre pre-COVID, I have to say, when I came into the office, I would check my emails, see if there was anything urgent. I would, to be honest, most of the time I would start translating straight away depending on, on any target set. So we would have priorities, which brand um, needs translating. And then later on, the more experienced I got, I was also responsible for setting targets myself and, and doing some research, some market research, seeing which of the brands we worked with worked best in, and in which markets. Was it, was it Germany? Was it France? And so on. Now I would also be um, proofreading other translators' work. Mm -hmm. There is going to be a lot of translation work to do. So that's what I was mostly doing. Mm -hmm. Do they tell you how many words they want you to translate in a day or do you start off being like, I can do this many a day and then it changes? Again, I think I was very lucky. It was just a, I want to say a learning curve and they just, they looked at how much I could translate. They obviously mm -hmm. had experience with the other translators. But I never felt any pressure. And I'm, I'm aware that I'm very lucky there because I'm surely uh, for some translations agencies, if you work, there will be a pressure. There will be a, a daily limit. You have to translate after a while. But yeah, my, my training was uh, was really good. And I never felt that I had to. Oh, my God, I had to do this in like 10 minutes now or, or anything like that. So, yeah. yes. Yeah, that's really good. Do you know, like, what is this average that they expect in our translators, like how many words on average do you think that they expect you to translate? I would say if it's a good translation agency, it would be between 2,000 and 2,500 words, um, mm -hmm. depending on, on the content, of course. But I, I have heard from friends who work as translators that they do sometimes push it. And yeah, so really depends on, on the company you work for. But I think that's like an achievable number. Yeah, yeah, that definitely sounds like a manageable amount to do in a, in a day yeah. of work. What are your sort of deadlines like? Do you get daily deadlines or weekly deadlines? We had weekly deadlines. It was only for the marketing material that came in. That was then a, a matter of hours. But um, again, that wasn't that wasn't that much. And it was all it was more creative. So playing with the words. But it was never that I felt the pressure, like, oh, my God, if I, if I don't translate this within five minutes, it's going to be a disaster. Yeah. But, yeah, for the more creative one, that was usually on a daily basis and everything else was more weekly or, or longer term. Yeah, it's really good that they gave you manageable, manageable amount of work and manageable deadlines as well. Did you find that, yeah. especially when you started as an in-house translator, did you learn a lot from your colleagues? Were there other people that had been there for longer? Were they training the newer translators yes again um i had very good training and my colleague who was there before me most the senior translator she really did a great job and 
in addition to that, being in a team with people from different countries. So we had French, German, later on Italian, Spanish. So even if they, um, they can't help you in in terms of language, um, mm-hmm. they have the same problems. So that means they have the same text, they encounter a problem and they might solve it and they can tell you, they can describe, oh, I can do a word for word translation, but I use this approach to solve this. And that might get you thinking, and you're like, oh, that's actually quite a good way. I could do that in German too. So that was definitely something that it's just a feeling of of being in that team and you're not alone. Um, mm-hmm. That was really great. I can imagine it's great to have the support, especially from the start. So did you ever have colleagues that had alternate language combination to you? So they were translating German into English. And if you were stuck on something in English for example did you could you like go to the colleagues with the alternate language combination that is that a really silly question sorry no no it isn't not at all no god no I think especially if you if you work for a translation agency I think that happens a lot unfortunately I um I didn't have that bonus so I had a German colleague so Mm -hmm. I could have asked her so that would have been fine but I had no one in the company who would work the other way around but yeah I don't think it's a stupid question at all because in translation agencies that will definitely happen yeah I think definitely like as you said having the colleagues and having the people around you does sound like a bonus and I think like that's sort of what I tried to do as as a freelancer as well even if I'm not in the same actual company as people. Yeah, um, I think especially now with, with I think with LinkedIn as well, you can communicate with so many people and you can build your own network and it doesn't all have to be like super professional. Oh, we're just talking about the job. So mm. yeah, I think you can build your own team there if if you want. Yeah, exactly. Almost choose your own colleagues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So since you do a bit of freelance translation as well as in-house translation, what would you say are like the main differences that you notice? I can choose who I work with. I can choose when I work and I can choose the projects I work on as as a freelancer. Mm -hmm. So that's something I just didn't uh, have the chance to do when I was working as an in-house translator and, and still am. And that's why I like freelancing so much because you can really, if you have a specialism, so I specialize in marketing and fashion translation mostly and also pet products. Mm-hmm. So you can just, you can look for your ideal client, so to speak. And then of course, hopefully you will absolutely love what you do. And as an in-house translator, you might find that not every day you you don't necessarily love what you do. It might be a project or product or whatever you're translating that you're just not that interested in. Um, Something I really love about translation is how much I learn about so many different things. But yes, it could just be that as an in-house translator, it might not be very varied and you can't choose. I guess especially if if you're an in-house translator for a company that does specialize in a specific area it means you're limited to that area and if you think oh actually I'd quite I'm quite interested in this other area of translation I'd love to learn a bit more about that you're sort of restricted if you're staying in that in that company to you can't really I guess branch out and learn about some I mean you could in your free time but start translating other things that the company doesn't offer yes exactly definitely and that's yeah that's why I decided to go part-time about two years ago Because that's that's something I really love, like the freedom. And also, um, I love working from home. 
I'm more mm -hmm. of an introverted person and um, we have an open office. Mm -hmm. So that means we're a company with about 60 people, 30 of them are in the office or around 30. So that means there's noise, people walking up and down and as nice as it can be, it can also be that you are just translating, you're concentrating or trying to concentrate on something and the person behind you is on the phone to a customer. Mm. So that's something that I found difficult from time to time. We were allowed to have headphones, so that was nice. You could listen to your own music. But just I found like sometimes when I really want to concentrate, I just need peace and quiet. And that's what I do get at home. And that's what I didn't get in the office. Yeah. But of course, on the other hand, it's great to if you're in a lovely team and the company I work for certainly was or is, you you might have things like we had Halloween parties in the office. We have Christmas jumper day, red nose day, and they really made an effort so that everyone takes part. And it was just a, it's just a nice team. And you stand there, you have a coffee or a tea and you chat to your colleagues. I certainly made friends for life. That's, that's for sure. So that's something you might miss mm -hmm. as a freelancer. But as you said, you can build your own team, so to speak. So yeah, yeah. I guess it's, yeah, it's different because I mean, obviously this year has been different. I'll come to that in a second. Exactly, but like, yeah, yeah. even for example, me like building, making connections on LinkedIn and having this sort of community of translators and talking to people. And I have like a few translators and we have regular Zoom calls and it's really nice to all catch up. But we do all live in all different countries around the world. So it's not like we could just, I mean, if it wasn't 2020, it's not like we could as easily just all meet up in a, in a space and all do our work at the same time as easily as you can actually physically in an office I mean I've definitely like before the pandemic I used to meet with Chris who was on the previous podcast episode mm -hmm. we used to meet up in a cafe sometimes and we'd just sit there and both do our work separately but be there and we'd like have chats in between and it was just nice to like be around someone else rather than obviously <laughs> being on your own all the time but then you do get the when you want quiet and you need to really focus on something you have that as well so talking about the pandemic how has that changed the experience of working as an in-house translator how have things been different this year than they were before well firstly I'm I'm as you can imagine working from home now completely so I'd only have to go to the office if there was something really really important and I've only been to the office once since March so I now have my peace and quiet <laughs> But of course, there are things I miss as well. For me, I used to cycle to work. Uh, so that was like 20, 25 minutes in the morning. And then the same on the way back. I do miss that. I felt it was really great because in the morning, it kind of woke me up. And then mm. on the way back, it was this separation between work and home where I got to clear my mind. And then when I was home, I was home. Something that I don't have now. I do have my own office here at home. But basically, it's just I open the door and I'm at home. Yeah. So it's sometimes a bit hard to, to separate, I find. Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, as I said before, I have really lovely colleagues. So not being able to see them is kind of sad. I, I have to admit, like, just the chats you have, it's, of course, not just about work. So some of them might be your friends. So, yeah, that's not happening. Of course, you have video chat and everything. So you know what's going on, but it's still a difference. Yeah. It's not the same. <laughs> no. And I guess, like, as you said about cycling to work and stuff, I mean, I guess it's it's sort of the same for everyone, but it's harder. I definitely find it harder to keep 
active and doing things when I haven't actually got anywhere to go because obviously if you're cycling to work you're actually trying to get somewhere you're not just doing it to do the cycling and I mean with me I usually walk everywhere and but there's nowhere (laughs) if I go for a walk it's just to go for a walk it's not to get to get anywhere so I don't see as much purpose in it yeah no exactly no I totally understand it's the same for me um like I love going for a walk and um don't want to say I have to force myself but now it's like a conscious thing where mm-hmm. I say okay I've been sitting at the desk all day I should really get some fresh air and before it just happened because uh, yeah. that was on my way to to work and then on my way back and yeah like you I I do most of the stuff I need to do by foot so I go shopping uh, I, d- I don't have a car so it's either it's either walking or, or cycling and yeah if if the purpose is not there anymore it's quite difficult and you have to remind yourself no yeah it's almost an extra thing you have to add to your to-do list like go for a walk and I'm I'm the same as you I do I like going for walks it's not something I have to force myself to do but it is harder when I've done I've walked everywhere around where I live now and I'm a bit bored of seeing the same thing um I know yes definitely We've probably got some people listening who might be just finishing their master's or at a point where they're thinking they might like to become an in-house translator. How do you become an in-house translator? Like what sort of qualifications do you need or what do you need to be able to get a job as an in-house translator? Again, it really depends on the company. For my role, I did not need a degree, although ironically, by that time I had it and I had my master's. (laughs) But it certainly helped uh, for me to get the job. But they would have considered people with, for example, a linguistic degree or or some experience as well. So you don't necessarily need to have a degree. Um, Of course, a passion for languages helps or some kind of proof that you do speak the languages. Uh, Hopefully they will test you anyways. And then I think, again, yeah, it depends on the company. But I also know that... I don't want to say many, but there are definitely um, translation agencies out there now who will give um, recent graduates a chance. They'll interview you and, and you have a very good chance of getting the job, even if you don't have the experience. That's probably quite good, especially at the moment when it's maybe a bit more difficult. Yeah, to get I think job. when I started out, I found it very difficult, but of course could have just been me uh, struggling with that. But I think now people start to understand that if you don't start you're not going to get any experience so Mm -hmm. they they might be willing to train you properly and to to give you the chance to prove yourself so when you I know it was a while ago but when you got this job as an house translator what what did you have to do did you have to have an interview did you have to do a test translation for them or Mm -hmm. yes so I was invited to the interview so um, I think it was about a 40-45 minutes interview with the office manager and one of the translators and then I had to do a test uh, which took about 40 minutes as well it's just some examples of the products they um, they sell and I I had to translate them and that was it apparently I was the best (laughs) yeah and then (laughs) yeah Uh, and then a few weeks later I was I was able to start and that was great so as you said that a translator was there in the interview as well. Have you ever been in that position where you were in someone else's interview? Um, interviewing someone yeah, as a senior translator? Else. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes, I have. And I've also seen many CVs. So. Okay. What sort of questions do you ask in an interview? Ooh, 
That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I just thought for anyone who might be wanting to go and they might be doing that interview, they could prepare with. Prepare, yeah. yeah. So I think one question that always comes up is that, tell me about yourself. So mm-hmm. I think it's just a good tip to just prepare that one. They don't really want to hear your life story. They want to hear how you got there, where you are, and why you are suited for the role. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, you can mention some personal bits and bobs there, but just make it about the role. Yeah. If you have any experience, of course, they would ask you for experiences you have. Um, translation experience but you might of course if you're just starting out to think of something you maybe volunteered somewhere or maybe just have a passion for languages and always translated some bits on your own even if you didn't get paid or something or mm-hmm. uh, there might be something so just if you have any anything that could count ex- as experience just prepare that beforehand so that when they ask you you're not like stuttering around like I am now <laughs> <laughs> it's all right it was an unexpected question for you that's okay I do have some tips for before the interview if you if you want as in um, CV tip yeah yeah I was going to ask you about that as well like what I guess you said you've seen a lot of CVs what would you say is vital to go on the CV and what advice do you have yeah so I think that's it's general as well but especially for translators I've seen a lot of CVs and if you already, if you say you have that famous eye for detail, but then you can't read that this is a position for in-house translator or where it is based or mm-hmm. that you need to be a native speaker, then you already kind of failed and probably won't be invited for an interview. So do read the ad and and understand the ad. And then for your CV or cover letter, just make sure you don't have any typos let someone proofread it i mean it can be a friend or i'm sure there are definitely people willing to help i mean i think Mm. the translation community especially is very welcoming i think so i know exactly i already can think of a few people if i had um, if i was working on my cv or cover letter i would just ask would you mind just proofreading it and also maybe you have any suggestions that can help a lot because i think when you do it yourself you're so focused and maybe sometimes you might not see things but considering that this is for a role where you do need an eye for detail and your translation should be impeccable Mm -hmm. just make sure you get that first step right Mm -hmm. yeah I whenever I've done a CV or any sort of writing that's important I always just get my mum to (laughs) send it to my mum and get her to read it even if she doesn't really know what what I'm talking about she doesn't know anything about translation but I always just send it to her because I know that she's the one that will notice any like grammar mistakes or things like that. And then I've got someone else that I would send it to who does know about translation. So I think you could all say like no yeah. different people that can help with different things. Oh, definitely. Things. I think even it's, it's, it's a really good idea to actually um, maybe not send it to a translator. So someone who's got a fresh outlook on it to mm-hmm. say, because the person who's reading it might not necessarily be a translator. It might be, um, yeah, someone in HR or project manager I don't know it really depends on the company but they might not even know much about your role to be honest Um, and I guess it sort of shows as well how well you can explain what you're talking about yes if you can make it understandable to someone who doesn't know the industry like for example with the previous podcast episode that I did I sent it to a friend who isn't in the translation industry and I asked her to listen to it before I 
I shared it because she's someone that listens to a lot of podcasts and even though she doesn't know about the industry I wanted to make sure the podcast was accessible to anyone who even was just interested in it without having to know everything and sometimes I think you don't realize when you know so much or like when you've learned so much about the industry you don't you don't remember which things are things that you wouldn't have known before if that makes sense Definitely. I mean, you don't want to throw around abbreviations and stuff like LSP and a source text and, and, and then half of your audience doesn't understand. Yes. Do you have any other advice for people who uh, want to become an in-house translator, like not necessarily related to the CV or like anything you think they should do? Translate. <laughs> so I would say, A, there are um, some organizations out there who will give you the chance to translate um, if you don't have much experience. You can volunteer, for example, at some point I've subtitled TED Talks, uh, so you don't get paid for that, but it's a good Mm -hmm. experience. They explain everything, so you get like a handbook and a guide, and it's really not not difficult. Um, They're basically just looking for people who have the language skills. Mm -hmm. So you could try that, or I think there's also um, translators without borders. Mm -hmm. So just be prepared to maybe do some volunteering or some some extra bits so i think that will look um attractive to to any company who's who's looking to employ you because it shows that you're really passionate about what you do mm-hmm. um and it also gives you the experience is there anything that you think that people should maybe look for if they're thinking okay i want to be an in-house translator and maybe they found a few different in-house translation roles what should they also look for in the company when they're thinking, do I really want to work for that company or do I want to work for that company? What would you say is a good thing to look for? Another good question. I mean, everything's online now anyway, so you can do mm. your research, look at the companies, look at the, uh, a lot of them have about us pages or even like team profiles, look at the, look at the team. What do they say? What do they say of the company of course on the website they're probably not going to criticize the company but (laughs) maybe just do a little bit of research are they outside of of that website maybe on LinkedIn are they um, making positive comments about the company or are they not Mm -hmm. yeah just do your research and only because I've spoken to quite a few people that have worked as as in-house translators and I've definitely heard positive and negative feedback and even On Monday, I did a LinkedIn post saying that I was going to be recording this podcast episode with you and sort of asked if anyone had any questions about in-house translation, but also got a few comments on that post. One person saying that they had a great experience with it and that that they learned a lot. Another person said that it wasn't such a great experience, but they made some good friends out of it. Like it definitely sounds like very good in-house translation experiences and perhaps not so great ones as well. Yeah, I, I was reading that as well. Yeah, I think another thing to look out for if you do apply and mm-hmm. then uh, get the interview, how's the vibe? Like, yeah, <laughs> I've actually I've recently had uh, had an interview and even though, of course, you, you might be nervous and everything. For me, it was really just lovely to chat to the people and they took their time. So mm-hmm. that took their time to get to know me. That took their time to explain everything about the company. They explained how the onboarding or the, the training would look like. They talked about their goals. So I think if it's all rushed and they're just like, yep, yeah, whatever, you can start, maybe not such a good sign. Mm-hmm. They're going to ask you questions, of course. They will ask if you have any questions. 
and I think they will want to make you feel as comfortable as possible. So mm-hmm. if if you have that feeling, then it's probably a good company to work for. Yeah. If you already have that feeling that, oh, there are like three people interviewing me there, they're not really interested in me, then maybe no, because there are definitely some not so great companies out there. I mean, there are fantastic companies and you, you will love it. Uh, it will be a great experience, but it's not a secret that sometimes translation agencies just demand a lot and don't give much back. So don't ignore the gut feeling, I would say. Yeah, because I do think like, even though you're the person that's being interviewed, if you're applying for a job or going to the interview, I feel like it also part of it should be you deciding whether you actually want to work with that company as well as them deciding whether they want to hire you. Because at the end of the day, like if you take that job, then that is your, especially like within in-house translation role, like if you take that job, I mean, if it wasn't pandemic year, then you are, yeah. <laughs> you, you're there, <laughs> like you're there, you're there every day. Like you want to be as much as it's, about finding a job and getting the experience you also want to feel comfortable in your daily life and feel supported and like you can learn and develop in in a good environment yeah exactly and I think you can once you're through to the interview process then you can ask the questions and Mm -hmm. I think you will you will get a feeling for it and if it's a good company they will want to tell you about their company and they will want to tell you why it would be great for you to work there Mm -hmm. what the benefits are what they do for their employees do they have special schemes Um, do they do training courses yeah so if if you feel it's not right then your feeling is probably right (laughs) yeah (laughs) I guess it sort of works for a lot of things I mean I notice it even even as a freelance translator although most if I mean if not all of my communication I do with because I work with some direct clients and some agencies Mm. and with agencies it's mostly all done by email but even in the emails you get a feeling for how it is working with them and I like the email I like the agencies that send emails being like hi I hope you're having a great day or even just adding that one bit into the, into the email, it like makes you want to work for them. And even if they're a massive agency and they've got yeah. loads of freelancers or loads of translators, it doesn't it doesn't take much just to like put a little smiley face in the email or definitely. do something and make you feel valued and make you want to work with them. Because I've definitely got agencies that agencies that I love working with and I will always take their work, and then other ones that. I would only take the work if I didn't have anything else on because I don't enjoy working with them as much. And then that's not, even if they've got loads of translators, that's not great for them if people are putting them sort of on the back burner. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally agree. I, the same for me when I work freelance. So I've mm-hmm. got, I work with direct, direct clients, but also have a few agencies and I absolutely love working with them because mm-hmm. as you said, it's just, it's, it may be that extra sentence or they remember that you were on holiday or I wasn't feeling quite well, um, a few, a few weeks ago coming down with the flu or thing. And they just asked, they said, Oh, I'm so sorry. And the whole team wishes that you get a well soon. And it's just, it doesn't cost them anything, but they know exactly that further down the line, if they have an urgent project and they don't have anyone, I might just say, yeah, of course I'll squeeze you and that's no problem yeah. at all. It's just, it's not just all about taking, is it? We're all human beings at the end of the day, so yeah. it's nice to be treated like one and to be valued. 
I've had a few questions in from some people for you. Some we've sort of touched on a little bit, but I'm going to ask you anyway, in case you've got anything to add to it. So the first one we have is from B, who asked, can you concentrate enough on your work with typical office chatter in the background? Yes. So we did speak about that a little mm-hmm. and um, it's definitely a good question. So as I said, we were allowed to use headphones so I could put music on. Mm-hmm. And then I was I was able to concentrate quite a while because obviously the company is interested in you being able to concentrate. So they will tell other people to maybe not shout on the top of their... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. Sometimes it can be difficult, yes. Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I also have something to ask about that as well. When you were working in-house, like physically in-house, yeah. were you able to have some days working from home or did they want you to be in the office every single day? I had to be in the office every single day, yes. So, yeah, I would have appreciated back in the day to be able to maybe work a day from home or two. um, But yeah, we had to we had to be in the office. But I think that might be changing. Well, I know for my company, it has definitely changed. And I think given the situation that might change in the future as well. Yeah, I think probably for a lot of companies, they're realizing that, oh, actually, our employees can get work done at home yeah, and they actually, they, yeah. they don't just sit there and do nothing as soon as they <laughs> go home. We can trust them. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I think that's kind of, I mean, obviously, apart from the fact that meetings and things like it can be nice to be there in person and some things you need to work on with people. I think a lot of it is maybe based on trust. And I feel like you want to work for someone who can trust you to get on with the work, even when they can't see what you're doing. Yeah, I think. I can say that's something my boss has definitely um, learned because he, he did say that uh, actually it's working really well. And he is thinking of once this is all over, hopefully, mm-hmm. that people can work from home a few few times a week if they want to, if it's better for them. And so that's, yeah. that's great. Okay. The next question is from Anna, who asks, what made you choose in-house translation over freelance translating? So I know you've sort of touch on that a little bit but like is there any main things I think the main thing for me was I wanted to gain the experience and I felt a bit unsure about how to do that I was just uh, afraid that if I do it freelance that there might be a month where I don't have enough money to pay my bills so I was mm-hmm. I was thinking well if I get a job as an in-house translator I have my salary and that will be fine mm-hmm. and it was and uh, it, it was great just to gain the experience I think yeah yeah so we've had a couple of questions in from Maddie. She says that she's heard that most in-house positions are in international legal or financial companies. Are there any other sectors where in-house translators are needed? Definitely. Um, very good question, I think. And uh, yes, absolutely. Um, firstly, of course, I would think of translation agencies. A lot of them work with freelancers, of course, but quite a few of them do have their own uh, couple of in-house translators uh, depending on the languages they have. So that might be an option. And now I think given the times, you might not necessarily be restricted to a certain geographic area anymore because before COVID, the most jobs you would have got in London, obviously. But now more and more companies um, will allow you to work from home. So that might be a good option. And and there you might be able to translate um, a variety of content from from legal and more technical to marketing. Then another sector, I would say, is definitely the fashion industry. I do a lot of fashion translation myself. Only this year I saw an ad for um, 
a junior in-house translator with Ted Baker, for example. Um, that was, I think, beginning of the year on LinkedIn. Then Lululemon as well. They were looking for a translator and editor in several languages. Pretty sure Asus as well. They have an in-house translation team. Bowden as well. And Boohoo, I remember, but that was Hebrew, so wouldn't have been for me. But yeah. So I would say definitely um, if, if that's something that interests you, fashion industry or cosmetics, and if it's up your alley, the gaming industry, definitely. I find that highly interesting. Uh, unfortunately, I'm really not good at playing video games, so it wouldn't make any sense for me. But companies like Sega, for example, they're often looking for localization staff who play the games and translate. And what else I can think of is like uh, more the technical sectors, for example, car manufacturers like BMW. A guy I studied with in Munich was ages ago, um, he works for Audi uh, as an in-house translator. I mean, as I said, it's probably about 10 years ago. Uh, so I don't know if he's still there, but he was definitely working directly with them. So, yeah, I think there are quite a few industries you could look into. Yeah, it does sound like there's a variety. And as you said earlier as well, more companies are being a bit more relaxed about having people working from home. So it probably does give you more options of where you can work. You don't have to worry too much about the location, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, definitely. She's also asked, she says she's currently looking for an in-house position, Italian into English. Are they as rare as they seem? Well, it would be good to know more about your background for example, experience and your location to answer this question in the best way possible. I would say that definitely rolls out there. If you're based in the UK, then I admit it would probably be more likely to find a, a role the other way around um, from English into Italian. But there might be more Italian companies who'd, um, who'd benefit from a translator who can translate into English. So I think it really depends where you're based or if, if you've tried looking, for example, um, for Italian translation agencies or, or Italian companies. If you're based in the UK, it might, of course, not be ideal given the current situation with Brexit, but yeah, worth researching, I think. Mm-hmm. And then the final question she actually asks is, where is the best place to look for those in-house translation positions? I would say, obviously, the usual job websites. Um, I quite like toplanguagejobs.com as it already says just about languages so you can search by language and they mostly show in-house roles so they're actually not for freelancers so most of these jobs will be um, for in-house roles and then of course you can do an online search for translation agencies or language service providers and look at their career or job page because I know that many of these companies they only advertise on their own website so that might be a good thing to do. I can also recommend LinkedIn for job search. I think that works quite well. Um, that's where I've seen a few of the jobs I mentioned earlier. So fo- maybe follow these companies, follow some agencies, because they often post their jobs on LinkedIn as well. So um, I think that might be quite a good idea. We had one other question from Alessio who asked, if you have experienced both freelance translation and in-house translation, which you have, which one would you recommend? Hmm. So I guess for people who might be like, might have just finished their masters and think, okay, do I want to go in-house or do I want to go freelance? I think it depends on you as a person. Um, mm-hmm. If you A, don't have the experience, if you are uh, a little bit unsure about what to do, I think starting out as an in-house translator is perfect because you will 
you will have someone who's going to guide you. Mm-hmm. You will learn a lot and you have that secured income you don't have to worry about. And then a few years down the line, you have the experience. It will be easier to find freelance work if you want to do that. Because mm-hmm. many agencies, if you want to work with an agency, they will require three to five years of experience. So I think especially for people who want to start out, it's a, it's a great choice. And then also depends if you are very extroverted person or you just love being around people then just maybe having that team and that physical contact so to say might Mm -hmm. be a good option for you yeah I think it it depends on the person I love both but I think further down the line I, I will go completely freelance because I love the freedom that it brings and that you can choose when you work I'm more of a I'm definitely not a morning person so I would probably start a bit later but I don't mind working late at all because I'm just quite awake even at like 11 o'clock not saying Mm -hmm. I work at 11 but I wouldn't mind if you're early bird and you want to start at six and then finish at three or whatever you can do that because you're your own boss I mean you can also be flexible like you can take work on the weekends or you can just take the work when it's needed and then if there isn't work then you take your days off and you can sort of move your days around where the work is (laughs) yeah it might be it it can be easier for a lot of things I mean you can make your doctor's appointments whenever you want to because you Mm -hmm. can just work around or you can it's sunny outside you're taking the day off so yeah it does have a lot of advantages as well so yeah Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that you have to, you don't have to work as an in-house translator and then you can never leave. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can start out if you, if you love it, get the experience and then, yeah. It does sound like a, a good starting point if yeah, you can find definitely. a good, a good company to work with um, yeah. that can support you and help you grow as a translator. Then it does sound like a good starting point. I mean, the only reason I didn't do that was because well, I was when I was I was doing my master's part time and I sort of started freelancing alongside my master's and then just finished it and came out and continued <laughs> continued yeah, freelancing. Course. But I think if I hadn't have had that, I probably would have looked at in-house translation work. So sort of coming to the end of the podcast, do you have anything else you want to add or anything else you want to say with regards to in-house translation or anything else? <laughs> hmm. I think just general doesn't matter if in-house translation or or not just let your passion shine through so if you love it go for it and yeah if you don't have the experience if you can show them how much you love languages they they'll most likely give you a chance I think it's a great positive note to end on yeah I've really I've really enjoyed learning about in-house translation from you thank you so much for coming on the podcast you're very welcome I I really enjoyed it too it was lovely to talk to you and I hope people enjoy it too and hopefully they'll find it useful as well so if people wanted to get in touch with you or find out more ask you more questions or anything like that do you want to share your sort of website Uh, (laughs) so I think the best at the moment the best way to get in touch is just uh, LinkedIn Julia Landry and I I do have my my own website coming up very soon Uh, so within the next couple of weeks I will make an update on that uh, on LinkedIn as well. So that's just the best way to get in touch. Send me a message and I'm I'm happy to connect. And if you have any questions, I'm definitely happy to answer them. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's been been really great. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. (laughs) Thank you. And you. (laughs) Thank you. And um, yeah, we'll speak again soon.
thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. In the next episode, I'll be talking to Valentina Alia about freelance translation. We'll chat about what it's like to be a freelance translator, how to become a freelance translator, and the best and worst bits about it. I'm sure Valentina will also share some useful tips for new and budding translators. I'd love to hear from you, so if you have any feedback or questions for Valentina about freelance translation, then please send an email to meetthetranslator at gmail.com. Thanks again to Julia Landry for being on the podcast and to those who sent questions in. Thank you to Pippa Williams for the podcast jingle and Chris Drew for providing a transcript of the episode. Have a look at the show notes for more details. And finally, have a wonderful Christmas and a happy new year. I'll be back in 2021 with the next episode of Meet the Translator. (music) 